This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been in practice for over 25 years, and I started podcasting a couple of years ago because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be interested in psychology or be in therapy even, but also to those who might be initially diagnosed with anxiety or depression, or maybe you're just running into a really rough spot in your life and might be open to hearing what someone like me would have to say. But then there's that third group that I'm interested in who never perhaps would even consider darkening a therapist's door, but might listen to a podcast. I'm really fatigued with the stigma around the treatment of mental health or mental illness. And so it delights me to hear from some of you that you've gone into therapy because of listening to this podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled about that. I also invite anyone to write me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com, and I will answer your personal questions. But today, we're going to be talking about journaling. I have almost all my patients journal, at least at some point in their treatment. And I was really caught off guard the other day when in my Facebook group that I'll tell you about in a little bit, I asked them to journal about a specific topic, and someone wrote that they didn't know what I meant. What was journaling? That reminded me how one person's normal is completely alien to someone else, which was a very good reminder. I've lived in this mental health world for so long that I take things like that for granted, and that's not very good. So today we're going to be talking about journaling. What is it? How is it helpful? Are there specific problems where journaling is particularly helpful? And what might make it hard to do? It's really a great tool in many instances, but there can be problems, and we'll talk about what to consider. Our listener email today, which is a regular feature of self-work, is from someone who identifies with perfectly hidden depression, which is a term that I've used for a syndrome that involves perfectionism, lots of self-criticism, in fact, constant self-criticism, over-responsibility, avoidance of painful feelings, counting your blessings, not allowing anyone to know you, but being a great friend yourself. That's just five or six of the characteristics of what I'm calling a syndrome or a group of behaviors that you find together. Anyway, I'm writing a book about perfectly hidden depression, and there are several episodes interspersed here at Self Work about perfectly hidden depression. The first one is episode three, if you're curious. So someone who had been listening to those didn't quite know why she was reaching out. And you know, sometimes you have to follow your gut and your heart, but reach out, she did. So today, we're going to talk about journaling and find out just what it is, what it isn't, and how it can be helpful to you. Journaling is a technique that's used by many, many therapists to help people get more clear about their problems. But what exactly is it? It's similar to keeping a diary, but it's also very different. Often in a diary, you're recounting what you did that day or where you went, maybe on vacation or simply experiencing your life. 
and you write about emotions and feelings from your adventures or your day. You write about both the things you're celebrating as well as the things you're grieving. In journaling, you can certainly do something very similar, but you can also ask yourself different life questions such as, how am I different than I was 10 years ago? What have I learned? The list of questions are what is known as prompts are endless. And there are many blogs, in fact, that offer journal prompts for anyone who might be struggling with structuring such an exercise. I just did a a search for blogs with journal prompts, and I got 52 writing prompts to inspire your next blog post from someone named Bianca Bass that's on Medium, writing prompts for bloggers and people who love to write from the Sits Girls, 500 prompts for narrative and personal writing in the New York Times, 119 journal prompts for daring to live fully. So all you have to do, you you may not be a blogger, but this is great for journaling in general. So just put in blogs with journal prompts or just journal prompts and see what comes up. But why is journaling helpful? Especially for those of you in that third group I talked about in the introduction, it might seem kind of woo-woo to journal, a little new agey thing or something. Overall, journaling can be helpful because there's just something about writing something in black and white or purple or pink that helps to clarify and deepen your understanding and experience. You can type it, you can do whatever you want to, but it's seeing it on paper in black and white. And if you're stuck in some way, either you're obsessively thinking about the same thing over and over or you can't seem to work your way out of feeling a certain way, journaling can quite pragmatically help. Think about it for a minute. It's one thing to allow a thought to roll around in your head for what may seem like an endless amount of time, and you can tell yourself that that obsessiveness is somehow helpful. Now, sit down and write about everything that's in your head. You'd be writing the same thing over and over. In fact, that's what old-time teachers or parents would do to punish their kids. They'd make them write a thousand times, I won't erase the board without telling the teacher. Or, I won't lie about stealing money from my mom's wallet ever again. So it can feel almost punishing and certainly difficult to write the same thoughts over and over. But that's what's going on in your mind. Journaling can thus help when you're stuck because there's a part of you that recognizes the repetition and can challenge yourself to write something fresh, to explore another thought or feeling. Yet it can also help in an emotional way. It can make what is intangible, tangible. For example, it's one thing to be aware, wow, I'm overwhelmed. When you write about it, it leads you to make that feeling real, to give it shape, to discover what you're overwhelmed by. And it's helpful to look back over whatever experience or journey you're writing about. Two months, two years, or two decades later, it's interesting to see what you were writing about, what was important enough to spend time writing about and working through. The practice itself can lend objectivity and insight to your life and your inner world. My beginning to blog back in 2012 was, for me, a very public journal. I wrote about the intense feelings of loss I felt after my son left for college. It was so intimate, in fact, that some people would write me and ask if I was really okay. My answer was, yes, the writing really helps and has served to get me through Empty Nest. I was hoping to model that it was good to express all your feelings, not just the ones that are happy and lighthearted. But let's talk about some specific problems where journaling is particularly helpful. 
I recommend journaling to almost everyone I see in my practice. That's how much I believe in it. But some folks don't like to write and will refuse. Some are afraid others will read it. I get that. I think there are ways to work around that, such as dictating your journal into an app or putting it somewhere where it's not likely to be read. But journaling is not everyone's cup of tea. One instance where it's particularly effective is with worry. I'll assign what's called a worry journal, meaning a journal specifically created to write about anything and everything you're currently worried about. Each day, you sit down and write your worries for a specific amount of time, like 10 or 15 minutes. Then you close the journal and try not to worry after that. If you do anyway, you quickly jot down the new worry and say to yourself, I'll write about that tomorrow. What's the purpose of this, the worry journal? You're honoring the worry, which is important, while at the same time, you're corralling its impact on your life. You're putting a big fence around it. So your thoughts don't just get wild and run all over you and all over the place. Journaling can also be very helpful with grief. Grief journals can be incredible ways for someone to work through what can feel like this sometimes never-ending cycle of feelings that come with grief. You can track your own journey, again honoring each step along the way, but you can also see more clearly if you're stuck in only one emotional stage or the other. A lot of times I recommend that people use a letter format, meaning you write a letter to someone you lost or to perhaps your abuser from many years ago. You can even have what you remember yourself as a child write back to your adult self or vice versa. Again, some of you doubters may think that sounds a little strange or weird, but you'd be really amazed at the kind of insight that can lead and the depth of emotional experience. You may not be someone who likes to feel deeply emotionally, but if you can tolerate it, it can truly help you understand the impact of things in your childhood on your present. All in all, journaling honors you, your life, your value, and your experience. So, what might make journaling hard to do? Again, coming up with your own structure can be hard sometimes, So feel free to find as many journaling prompts as you need. A second problem, and this is huge for perfectionists, can be over-evaluation. If you're perfectionistic at all, you can bring spontaneity to a grinding halt as you try to make sentence structure correct or write what you should feel instead of exactly how you feel. You can treat it like a school assignment, which will steal its power. That's not honoring the real you. And even if you're not perfectionistic, you can berate yourself for only writing a paragraph or not being able to think of something to write. So, start there. Write, I don't know what to write. Start wherever you are and slowly you'll move forward. Another reason or excuse for not journaling is often finding time. I'm already so busy. I don't know when I'm supposed to find time to write. All of healing takes time and energy. I would suggest that staying paralyzed wherever you are also takes time and certainly energy. So finding 10 minutes to take a quick peek at what thoughts or feelings are there can help you grow and to me is a wonderful use of your time. So good luck to you. I hope that explains journaling. And I hope that this kind of writing can become something meaningful for you as it has been for me and many people I've seen through the years.
Our listener email today is from someone who identifies with perfectly hidden depression, and I explained what that was in the introduction, but who didn't quite know why she was reaching out. Now that I see this actual email, I realize this is someone who is not a podcast listener as of yet, because I actually recommend the podcast to her. She has been reading things on my website, which is drmargaretrutherford.com. Very creative. So here we go. I just wanted to say that I've just come across your descriptors for perfectly hidden depression, and it resonated with me so clearly after many years of telling myself that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm a fraud, how lucky I am, and that maybe I just don't know how to be happy. I answered yes to some degree on each question, but she's referring to there is there's a questionnaire on my website about how to know if you have perfectly hidden depression, and actually that questionnaire is either in episode three or episode four. I think it's in episode four. She continues, This week, I have finally sought help for depression after many years. As a teenager, my mother had severe depressive episodes and died when I was 19 in an accident. I have always been haunted by whether she died not being fully herself and feeling as if she wasn't loved. My teens and 20s were spent trying to make her happy when she was here or feeling obligated to care for my younger sisters, who went through various problems of their own. I never took care of myself. There is a lot more I could write, but in all honesty, I don't know why I'm writing this at all. Maybe it helps to put it down. I just saw that and realized we were just talking about journaling. It does help to write it out. And then she says, thanks for your website. So I answer, hello. I'm so honored that you've reached out to me. I'm not sure why you did either, except maybe you're ready to explore what you've kept to yourself and what has haunted you for far too long. Both your mother's struggle with depression and her early death sound tragic. That knowledge sounds very difficult for you. She didn't know how to create a good, satisfying life for herself, and you may have even felt that you failed somehow. That's a heavy burden to bear. One suggestion about therapy Often people who've developed a happy-looking, perfectionistic persona can appear to a therapist to be mainly anxious, working too hard, or as you say, needing better self-care. I know that I've missed the underlying depression and aching loneliness because I wasn't looking deeply enough, and the person in front of me was an expert in hiding. So please, let your therapist in on what truly goes on inside of you. They might catch on if you don't, but you're setting therapy up for far more success if you risk being vulnerable from the get-go. Even if you start by saying, it's really hard for me to be open about who I really am. Just like we were saying with journaling, start where you are. And then I say, it might help if you listen to some of my podcasts. They're free, and there are several episodes on perfectly hidden depression. The podcasts have more detail in them than I can put in a shorter blog post. It's called Self-Work with Dr. Margaret Rutherford, but you already know that. You know, I remember a therapist years ago who looked at me and said, would you be okay if your life was happier than your mother's? To be frank, I at the time said, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't stand the thought that that was what was going to happen or what was happening. That's how protective I was of her. That's how much I had taken on the role of making her life happy. I need to do a podcast on this kind of enmeshment because it really, really is very damaging. I now would answer that question. I would be sad for my mother, and frankly, in many ways, I am sad for my mom. 
because she was never truly happy. But I'm okay with having the life that I'm trying to create, a life that, for me, has many moments of true happiness. So if any of you are like that, especially if your mother had some kind of mental illness, my mom had obsessive-compulsive disorder and actually developed a prescription drug addiction, sometimes it's hard to give yourself permission to have your own life be happy when hers or perhaps your father's was not. But a healthier parent would tell you, of course, I want you to have a better life than I've had. Of course, I want you to stand on my shoulders, whatever I was able to provide for you, and reach farther than I was able to reach myself. Thank you for your sadness for me, but I want you to shine. So I hope that's helpful to any of you listening who might have the same dilemma as this woman. Thank you so much for being with me today on self-work. We talked about a lot of different things, journaling and having a parent who was mentally ill and didn't have a lot to give, and how that can develop into problems with being okay with self-care and you beginning to enjoy your life and be happy yourself. I've already mentioned my email, which is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. Please feel free to email me there. So many of you do, and that's where I get these ideas and content for the listener email, obviously. But there are other ways of getting in touch with me. You can go to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com and participate there. If you subscribe, you'll get a weekly blog post as well as a weekly podcast. And you can check out articles from my website as well. I also am becoming more active on Instagram and having such a good time with Instagram story. Now, I've only done it for a few days, so don't expect a lot there. But I'm really enjoying that. Of course, you have to be there and check it out. It doesn't last long. An Instagram story lasts 24 hours, I think. But it's fun and it's more lighthearted. It's more about my personal life or what I'm doing with my day or just stuff. (laughs) And there's one other opportunity. I started a closed Facebook group, which means that only the members can see what people write or what they post. And that Facebook group is called Self Work as well. And you can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash self work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your ratings and reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen. That's the major way except you telling your friends and family that self-work exists and you're benefiting from it, which of course is fantastic. But ratings and reviews are the best publicity I can get. And it only takes a few minutes of your time. So I hope all of this has been helpful to you. Thank you for being here and take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.